the In Conversation podcast series with author Nigel Beckles. Welcome to the podcast. podcast. Please like the podcast, podcast. and subscribe podcast. to this channel. Podcast. Thank you. Have you experienced several failed relationships or been through a divorce? How can you avoid making the same mistakes again? How to avoid making the big relationship mistakes is out now. Hi, my name is Nigel Beckles. My new book is packed with practical and common sense strategies that you can use to make better relationship choices. Now you can discover the dangerous myths about love. If your relationship expectations are realistic, why you could be falling in love for all the wrong reasons. How to avoid making the big relationship mistakes. It's a book that could change your life. Available from Amazon.co.uk. Kindle version also available. When the Mood is Right, A Poetry Journey and Mood Swings by Queen P. Available on Amazon and all good bookstores. The Royal Affair by Queen P. Dim the lights, sit back, relax, and breathe. You have entered into the Royal Affair. Queen P. Poetry Podcasts. Available now, 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 now. The Royal Affair. The very best way to promote your podcasts, Podpage makes it easy to create a podcast website with just a few clicks. Every page is optimized to be found on Google and it stays up to date forever. For more information visit podpage.com. The future of podcast promotion. Get ready for takeoff. Welcome back to my In Conversation podcast series. My guest for this episode is an entrepreneur and podcaster, American Brandon Carey. Hi, Brandon. Welcome to my podcast series. How are you? I'm living a dream. How are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you very much. So where are you living at the moment? Uh, I live in Miami, Florida. Oh, okay. And what's it like there? Um, it's beautiful. The weather is usually beautiful. The people are very interesting, particularly in these COVID times and everything. Um, I'd moved here back in 2019. So I've lived here for going on two years now. Um, and we'll be here until my girlfriend finishes her uh, PhD. And then we'll, we'll head out probably next uh, up for us is maybe Atlanta, Georgia. So I understand you are a military veteran. How long did you serve and where did you serve? So I served active duty in the United States Air Force for just shy of 11 years. And I was stationed at different times in Maryland, Texas, Georgia, and Florida. And then I also did two tours in Qatar. So did you see any action? Negative. No, no combat for me. You're also qualified for an MBA. What is that for? So I, I got my MBA to basically further my career prospects and also to help me learn more about the inner workings of business as I'm also a small-time entrepreneur right now and I do have some other projects that I'd like to work on. So I, I figured an MBA was a good way to help advance my career. And because, as you mentioned before, as a military veteran, I didn't have to pay for it. So it made more sense for me to approach it from that angle. So what does MBA stand for? Uh, Master's in Business Administration. We're going to talk a little bit about cancel culture and some associated matters. So the buzz phrase we hear a great deal now is cancel culture. So what do you think about that? 
I think that it's political manipulation more than anything, because if you look across the history, at least I'll speak from the United States perspective, because as you'll probably be um, unsurprised to hear, I'm not that aware of the world culture because we're American and we typically aren't taught that very well. So I, I do admit that up front. But, but at least here in America, there's always been cancel culture. The only thing is now we're just now recognizing it because it's happening more frequently because our technology has advanced in such a way that it's easier to do. But I think we all remember back in the 80s, they had rap music that came out and people were so mad about it, they went to Congress for it. How is that in a cancel culture? And before that, you had mothers who would write letters to Walmart or wherever else to try to get CDs that they didn't like, magazines that they didn't like, taken out of their stores. Like We've had cancel culture the entire time. And in, a, in a way, America was a cancel culture country from the way it started when they came over here from Britain and canceling, you know what I mean, <laughs> the, the, uh, the monarchy. So I just think that it's funny that people are now looking at it like it's this new thing. And I'm like, it's not. We've always done this. It's just easier to do now because it takes me two seconds to send a tweet compared to having to go to buy a paper and an envelope and a stamp and then write out a full letter and then find the address of the place and mail it, which is what it used to be. Well, for me, cancel culture is very mm. much the same as a boycott. And boycotts have been around since the 19th century. Absolutely. The definition of a boycott is an act of non-violent, voluntary and intentional abstention from using, buying or dealing with a personal organisation or country mm-hmm. as an expression of protest, usually motivated by moral, social, political or environmental concerns. Sounds like cancel culture to me. Absolutely. And the other side of that that I don't think people are considering is, as you heard before when you asked me about my MBA, I, I have a business background. I tend to think very business-wise. And a lot of these things where you're talking about cancel culture, it's businesses making a decision that they feel will protect their profit. They feel like dealing with an individual is going to hurt their profit. So they cut that individual off or they double down on that individual. It depends on what their strategy. And so businesses have done that their entire lifetime. Because why wouldn't you? If you have to be associated with somebody who you had as a spokesperson and you find out that they're doing something terrible, do you really want to still associate with that? No, they're going to hurt your brand. People are going to stop buying your product. So the first thing we do is, well, we cut ties with that person and we move on. It's just capitalism. And again, like I said before, America and most of the world, to the best of my knowledge, has had a cancel culture for the entirety of time. That's how we socialize. You know, when they go into social mores and all that type of stuff, that's what you're talking about. Yeah, well, I was reading a BuzzFeed article last night Mm -hmm. and um, it was talking about some well-known people who've been targeted by cancel culture, like Ellen Denedris, J.K. Rowling, Mm -hmm. actress Kirstie Alley, Mm -hmm. um, singer Brian Adams. But going back to what you said about brands, Pepsi, they got targeted, Starbucks, Nike, Uncle Ben's. So at the end of the day, it does affect individuals and brands and businesses. But I think you make a very good point. Back in the day of the boycott, there wasn't the internet. Yeah. And now, as you say, you can register your dislike, click of a button, really. Why do you think those who tend to be on the right of the political spectrum have a problem with people exercising their democratic rights? I think what we're seeing is that it's the way you spend the message, because the right side of the political spectrum has cancel culture as well. They do it all the time. But now it's become part. They've been canceled. So many other people get canceled that they are now trying to dig into where anti-cancel culture were pro-free speech. And so they've kind of backed away from it. But if you look at a lot of the organizations that are built around families and the built around all trying to protect religion and all that type of stuff, those are all right leaning organizations and they cancel stuff all the time. They attempt to write letters. They run campaigns and everything to try to get things taken out of stores or whatever else it is. So I, I think it's just 
how politics works. It is how the political leaders spin messages and how they think about things and how they basically indoctrinate, if you will, their constituents. And let me be clear, I'm not saying that only the right side of the political spectrum does this. The left side absolutely does this as well. It's all about political gain. And so they just use their constituents' interests to do so. So there are critics of cancel culture who claim it stifles free speech. What do you think about that? Do you think free speech is being stifled? How? My, and not to you, literally, but, but I ask that question. <laughs> I ask that question when people say that, because when you're talking about somebody being canceled, what you're saying is that consumers or people in general say that I no longer wish to deal with you. And that's exactly how we work in society. If you have a friend who, when he comes to a uh, party, just starts yelling at people, eventually he's going to stop being invited to a party. He and therefore has been canceled, if you want to use that same language, right? And that's how we associate with one another. That's how any social animal does. We take things that we don't like and we stop giving them energy. At least we're not beating people to death, you know, because that's what it used to be when you're in tribes and you're apes and everything like that. So I, I don't see how that's taking away your freedom of speech. You're allowed to say whatever you want. The government's not the one who's hindering your ability to say it. No one is, really. It's just you have to live with the consequences of your speech. If you're if you want speech free from consequence, then you're never going to get that. And you've never had that. Think about it when you were a child. Your mother or father didn't let you say anything you wanted to. You had limits. And that's always been the case. We always have limits on what we can say without consequence. But the, you can say it, but you just have to deal with the consequences of it. So that's free speech. Well, my response to cancel culture always is I don't call it cancel culture. I call it consequences culture. And I think that especially for those on the right, they are now finding it a problem. There are consequences for certain things that you may say or certain things that you may do. And as you rightly said, um, the right of the political spectrum have been practicing boycotts and cancel culture for <laughs> centuries, probably. Yes. It's an interesting thing. But the bottom line is, for me, no one is obliged to purchase goods or products or services from mm -hmm. a person or company if they don't want to. Absolutely. It's really as simple as that. So that's why I asked you earlier about um, how do you feel about cancel culture in terms of free speech? Because you can have free speech, but you're not necessarily free of the consequences of what you may say. And I think that's an important thing to point out because I have people, that, and I don't need to name them here because it's not really the point of what I'm saying, that I don't do business with because I don't believe in what they stand for. I don't need to have other people feel that same way. I just don't put my money there. I vote with my dollars. I vote with my attention and my time. And I think that's realistic, realistically what we're talking about here. Now, I will say this to balance out my point of view a little bit. There are times where cancel culture gets it wrong, which is true anytime you have a bunch of people acting quickly and not waiting for a lot of data or something like that too. And one of the situations that I felt was a little disingenuous when it came to cancel culture was what happened with Kevin Hart and the Oscars. Now, let me be clear. I'm not defending what Kevin Hart did or said, but what I am saying is Kevin Hart got famous for saying the same things that he said on those tweets that they tried to hold him accountable for. So if you're making the person famous for the same thing that you're trying to hold him accountable for later, then you're not looking in the mirror and holding yourself accountable. You know what I mean? Like the, the public is what made him famous. He got famous saying some things that are pretty homophobic, that are at, at best unintelligent, ignorant, if you will. Right. And then you pull out tweets from 10 years. You don't have to pull out tweets from 10 years ago. It's in his, one of his first stand up specials. You can watch it. And we everybody did and decided they liked this guy and he became famous from this. And now 10 years later, you're saying that you don't want to do that. I feel like that kind of cancel culture is disingenuous. Just because you've changed and now you're saying that you want this person to go back and take back things that you liked when they said them. In real time, you were a very big fan of it and now you have a problem with it. That's where I feel it is a little disingenuous. Again, not defending what he said. I'm defending how that, excuse me, I'm critiquing how that situation took place. Well, the social climate has changed. 
Mm-hmm. So obviously what Kevin Hart was joking about or making jokes about, I don't know, eight, ten years ago, it was generally socially acceptable. In this new woke culture, <laughs> it's obviously now not acceptable. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the disintended insults. Because mm-hmm. really when people talk about, it's usually an intended insult. Because woke just really means being socially aware about social inequalities, you know, or social discrimination. But what I've noticed during my research, like the term politically correct, that was used as a insult, which is the forerunner for being woke. But I generally notice from those on the right, the term woke is an attempted insult against someone who's really just trying to make things better for everyone at large, you know, whether they be black or gay or whatever. So it's interesting. And it's also interesting that the word woke only entered into general discourse around about 2017. That's when it entered into the uh, Oxford Dictionary. What I do observe is that if you're looking at politics, conservatives tend to want to keep things the way they were Mm -hmm. or the way things are. Progressives tend to want to change things for the better. So, Brandon, how do you think cancel culture will progress in terms as being a means of protest? I honestly think that it'll get ignored a little bit more in the future. Uh, I, there's been some instances of this happening already where people just ignore the they're trying to cancel different people. And I do think it'll get a little bit more nuanced as well, because we still have businesses reacting in the way they kind of did in the 80s and things like that, which is as soon as something arises that brings us bad and makes us look bad, we'll cut ties, we'll, we'll be quiet for a while, we'll go away, and then we'll come back, right? Uh, I don't think that you're going to be able to operate that way into the future because of the speed of the news, the speed of Twitter, Facebook, all the different social media platforms and everything. So I do believe that what we're going to see is it become less effective. I do think that it's going to become something that is going to ingratiate some people with a certain type of person. To to, to your example, you pointed out before, they may become a hero of the right. They That's what you've already seen happen a couple of times. People who try to get canceled, Roseanne Barr or something like that, the right uh, envelops them. They, they bring them up and they say that basically they're a free speech hero. And so I think you're going to see that happen a lot more is that the people who have a problem with the way this is going down will start to protect these people and use them as some kind of celebrity. Same thing with the there was a, a young child, I think it was like 16, 17, who was in D.C. for some field trip. And then there was some kind of confrontation with like a Native American group and everything. Uh, and he became part of that where they tried to cancel him. And ultimately, he came out that he wasn't doing what the video made it look like he was doing and everything. And so, of course, he, he was invited to the Republican National Convention here in the United States. So I think you're going to see a lot more of that. I think you're going to see people who are resistant to cancel culture as an ideal. They're going to ignore it. And the people who get canceled, they're going to start to celebrate. And so it's going to be interesting to see how effective that is as a means going forward and how businesses react to it. Well, yeah, because businesses and individuals are two different things. Obviously, I'm in the UK, you're in the US, but it's very similar. What's happening over there is happening here. I mean, I noticed the Republicans seem to be getting a bit hysterical. Um, regarding mm-hmm. cancel culture. And really, when you think about it, they're really just not f- as free as they used to be to say the things they wanted to say or do. I mean, mm-hmm. I also notice you guys now have a big drive by the Republicans regarding voter suppression. That is also a form of political cancel culture. Because if you're trying to cancel the vote for people of color, that kind of, for me, seems to be like cancel culture via the back door. Well, I, I think it's one of those things where we see people who 
say what I uh, do, what I say, not what I do. Right. And that's exactly what I think you see a lot in politics. You see people who are not holding themselves accountable the same way they try to hold their political opponents accountable. I think it's very problematic. And hopefully we as society, as the Internet has shown us, we can be a lot more powerful than we were in previous times. I'm hopeful that that'll continue. And I'm hopeful that people get a little bit less biased on who they support. And I don't mean politically. If you want to be a Republican or Democrat, do what you want to do. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is be realistic about who you're supporting. Don't just see they're good, see they're bad too, and say, I still support them because of X. Don't just wash it away. I think that's a problem that a lot of people do. Definitely pertains to this conversation we're talking about here, because you say things like, oh, Pierce Morgan is a free speech hero. Pierce Morgan walked off set like a petulant child. Like, who who is your hero that's some strong backbone individual who can't take a conversation? That doesn't sit well with me. You say you're strong people that we won't be silenced and everything like that. But he just silenced himself by walking off. You have a platform. Use it if you say you want to be in free speech. You were being held accountable for what you said, and you couldn't take someone saying it to your face. And you walked upset. Again, like that does not show any kind of strength to me. That's weakness. I would have to agree with you 100%. But he's certainly putting himself forward as a champion. And also we have an organization here, Ofcom. So Ofcom regulates kind of TV and radio mm-hmm. broadcast. So when Morgan had his little hissy fit, threw his toys out the pram, uh, <laughs> as, as we say in the UK, there were all record complaints, I think over 40,000 complaints to Ofcom. But saying that, there was also petitions where Morgan had support from over 200,000 supporters saying they wanted him back on the program. Well, and that's the thing. He wasn't fired. He left. Mm. Nobody kicked him off. How do you write a petition for him to come back on the program as if he was he was fired? He wasn't. The man doesn't want to be on the show. This, this is what I'm talking about with the biases people I think people have because he becomes some example of opposite of cancel culture or wokeness or whatever. You want him back on the show. You're not looking at the fact that he did it himself. The same thing with the Dr. Seuss situation that recently has popped mm. up, right? Where people were like, oh, cancel culture got Dr. Seuss. They did that. Nobody told them to do that. They looked at their own library and said, we don't want to put these books out anymore. Nobody, to the best of my knowledge, no one was on Twitter going, you know what? Those six specific Dr. Seuss books from 60, 70 years ago are, are need to be canceled. I, how? Like, I just think people need to pay attention to what's actually going on and look past their biases sometimes and just see what's going on. Like I said, Pierce left on his own accord. No one fired him. He wasn't canceled. If you want to bring him back, tweet at him. Start another show. I'm sure he will. Because you have to remember, the channel that he was on, Good Morning Britain, is on a channel called ITV. And ITV, one of their sponsors, is a mental health charity called Mind. Mm. So Morgan effectively said he didn't believe Meghan Markle was suicidal. The sponsor then complained to ITV. Then I believe ITV said to Morgan, you can either resign or you can be sacked. Because his comments put the TV channel in an impossible position. And bear in mind, we had a lady here, TV personality called Caroline Flack. She had a altercation with her boyfriend. It went to court, etc. She was getting a lot of a lot of abuse on social media, and she committed suicide. She committed suicide last February, 2020. So that's still relatively fresh. And then the, the campaign after she committed suicide was called "Be Kind." A year later, we have Megan, and she's getting all this abuse saying that she was getting abused before the interview. That's why they left to stay with you guys, because the amount of abuse she was getting in the in the press was ridiculous. Very subtle racism and sometimes not so subtle. So, Brandon, you are also a fellow podcaster. So what's your podcast called and what's it about? My podcast is called Starting Nowhere. 
And it's about having conversations that either we were told we shouldn't be having, uh, you know, the controversial topics, race, politics, religion, money, or it's just talk conversations with interesting people uh, or entertaining people. You know, so one of my favorite episodes that I've shot, I, I had in a police officer on the day after the Capitol riots happened uh, that we didn't plan it that way. It just, of course, worked out that way. But so I got to hear before the facts had been released what he thought may have happened. Uh, and what I thought had happened, I turned out to be wrong. He turned out to be right in some things. And then we also talked about a lot of the police racial shootings that have kind of taken place in, a, in America and everything like that. So, yeah, my podcast is really just a place to come hear people talk about things that I believe actually matter instead of just friendly conversations that we have every day that don't really mean anything. So what motivated you to begin? So last year after the George Floyd situation happened, I had a friend of mine who was looking for some black people to talk about their experiences. And so I volunteered and we did an interview and it felt really cathartic to me. It felt really good to be able to talk about those things, uh, particularly to people not of, of the black community, because I think in the black community, those conversations are very common. They happen all the time. <laughs> but uh, so I, as soon as I finished that, I went and I bought a microphone and I didn't know why. I just knew I wanted to have more of those type of conversations. I didn't know what that meant. And so it naturally led me to a podcast. And I've been doing that ever since, uh, I think, August of last year, just having those conversations with as many people as I can. So how can people contact you, Brandon? The easiest way would be to find my YouTube channel, which is just Starting Nowhere. Uh, I'm also on Facebook at Starting Nowhere Podcast, Instagram at Starting Nowhere Pod, and on Twitter at Starting Nowhere. So, And anywhere else you get your audio podcast, Spotify, iTunes, all the platforms. It makes it all that much more concerning that no one finds me. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon in Miami, USA. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, sir. Thank you for listening. Please like, subscribe, and share another In Conversation podcast coming soon. The podcast series hosted by author Nigel Beckles, featuring discussions with award-winning authors, therapists, coaches, plus individuals with intriguing stories to share. Available on all major podcast platforms now, 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 now.